I'm setting you up here, big. You got applause ready. Hey, Eric is back uh, another week with us, and so we're so excited. Just be praying for Kurt and Julie as they are with family and enjoying some time off, but mostly handling a lot of family stuff. So lift them up in prayer. And uh, super excited to have Eric up. Um, I know he's got a threefold apparently, but we're in a twofold, which is just as good. And uh, I've gotten to hear a little bit of the sermon this week, and I'm, I got blessed just having lunch by it. Uh, and so I'm excited to hear him speak. So would you give uh, Eric Lee a hand this morning as he comes? Every time I get up here, I ask myself, why am I doing this? So, um, because you're awesome. Because I'm awesome. That's right. Thank you very much, Jeff. I appreciate that. So, E-Dog, yeah, Adam made me uh, name tags this morning. He, he handed me two and said, here, you get to pick. And, well, I couldn't choose, so, uh, so I've got two. Um, hi. I need to just kind of pause and look at you guys for a second. Um, a lot of times when I get up here, I get into the mode of thinking about my words and the message and what I'm trying to say, and I think the, the people that I'm speaking to become a little invisible to me. So I just want to stop and look at you for a second and say thank you for being here. Thank you for supporting me. There have been so many people who have said amazing, encouraging words to me last week and this week, and I really appreciate that. It is great to know that um, you are supporting me and that I'm not alone in this journey, that we're working on this journey together. So thank you very much. Okay. So last week we talked about um, being on a journey together. And we talked about how God gives us moments sometimes that we can choose to enter into. And those, uh, if we enter into them, that they're going to be amazing and special. And that we have a shared purpose and a shared story that God gives us to experience together, to live together. And our purpose is summed up in this controlling scripture that we have. That we are one with God and we're one with another so that the world would know. So the world would know about God. The world could look at us and go, wow, there's something special. There's something unique there. I can see their love that they have for each other. I can see love that they have for God. And that will make the world want to participate in that and to be part of that. So I went back and listened to the recording that uh, that the guys in the back there do every week and you know they make it available online so I downloaded that and look listened to it and I was listening to the conversation that we were having at the second half of the service with the mic being passed around and everybody talking about what gets them excited about Lake Sam why are we here and what's our shared story and if you remember, if you were here last week or if you listened to it online, you know that uh, there was a theme that came out. It was a very strong theme. Everybody was saying basically the same thing, which was really exciting because that's what I was hoping for. So uh, as I listened to the recording, I, I wrote down keywords from the things that everybody was, was saying. And I put them into this uh, uh, word cloud generator online. And this is what I came up with. 
Okay, this is who we are. We are supportive, we're real, we're loving, we are growing together, we're safe. Most of all, we're family. Okay, these, these are your words, this is not my description of us, this is your description of us. This is what we wrote, what we created together. So, as I talk to people about that this week, I say, you know, I'm really excited, this is what I discovered, that we are a family. And people were responding to me saying, well, this is, you know, I mean, that's great, I agree, we are a family. Um, but kind of wondering, you know, what does that mean? Like, what's, what's the impact of that? How does that work out in daily life? And so I was thinking about that because I thought, yeah, that's basically what, I, what God wants to talk about in the second part of the message. Um, okay, we, we know who we are, but what does that mean? How do we, uh, how do we live it? And God started to bring a couple things to mind. He reminded me that uh, I've been watching the news a lot lately, a little too much. Uh, it's it's kind of stressing me out, man. The last couple months have just been brutal. If you follow the news much at all, uh, you know, there has just been one thing after the other. Uh, just tragic tragic things all over the world. People killing each other in the most horrible ways for no good reason at all. And then our political season, election season, has just been, don't even get me started, but I mean, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, it has been a mess, okay? And all of that has just got me kind of twisted up into knots and really just carrying a heavy burden. And so God reminded me about something that Kurt said um, a year and a half ago. He told us at that time that God had given him a word. And the word was that God was going to lift his hand of protection to some degree, not entirely, but lift his hand somewhat from our country, our nation, to let us start to experience the consequences of some of the choices that we have been making. And he said, I think God has given me this word so I can share it with you so that we can prepare, so that we can be ready. And when Kurt first said that, my reaction was, I don't know, concern apprehension, not for the content of that word. I mean, it doesn't sound like much fun, so you know, I, I'm, I'm not excited about that. I'm, I'm concerned about that. But actually, the source of my concern was, wow, I wonder how this body, this family, is going to react to that word. Because I think our human nature is when we hear that a hard time is coming. We want to, you know, grab the kids and grab the bug out bag and the ammo crate and head for the hills, right? Yeah? We want to isolate ourselves. We want to hunker down. We want to build walls around us to keep us safe, to keep out the chaos and say, okay, this is, 
you know, this is my little piece of the world that I control, and it, everybody else, well, it's, you know, every man for himself. And God is saying to us, I want you to do the exact opposite of that. Rather than becoming more closed, we should actually become more open. As things get more difficult, as the world gets more unstable and more chaotic, he wants us to be the rock of stability, not just for ourselves, but for everyone around us, for our body, for the people who here are here in this room, and for our coworkers, for our friends, for our neighbors, for everyone. As fault lines between different groups in our country get torn apart, and we start to separate into us and them, and you know we're the good guys and they're the bad guys, they're the problem, all of that is happening. As that happens, God wants us to actually reach out and enfold people and gather people to us. Gather people to our family and to gather people to God and say, we're all in this together to be inclusive. It's actually some of the words that are up there. To enfold, to embrace. That's who we are. That's who God has made us to be. So we can be Christ's hands and we can be Christ's feet. We can be Christ's heart to the world. That is our mission. That is the purpose that God has given us in this season. Okay, so how do we actually do that? That's, that's a, a tall order. That's really, really hard. But I think we start by reminding ourselves of who we are. Just like we talked about last week, we have a shared story. And a shared story is powerful because it gives us a shared identity and a shared identity gives us a shared purpose. And then we know what to do. We just, we know. And it makes it so much easier when we are doing it together. We have certain core values. We have certain things that define who we are. And those values, they make us a family. Okay, it's this word cloud right here. This is what God is calling us to. God is saying, this is who you are. This is who I've made you to be. Do that. Do that more. And every time you read something horrible in the news, every time you think, man, this world is falling apart, man, I can totally see God is lifting his hand of protection to a degree from our nation. God is saying, do that. Do that more. So this morning I picked out nine core values that I think define who we are. Things that we already do, but things that we can get better at. Um, I didn't invent these myself. These came from the conversations that we had last week. And also conversations that I had with individuals during this week as I was preparing the message. And so I, I realized, you know, I'm not supposed to go off and have a private burst, burst of inspiration for this message. Okay, this message is a self-reflection moment for all of us. This is a conversation. So uh, what I'm going to share with you this morning uh, didn't come from the private recesses of my own mind. This is just things that I've gathered from people, and now I'm giving it to you uh, as, as kind of a package. But 
these, are, these core values are things that we are doing, but also things that we need to consciously choose to do more of. Kurt often talks about how, as Christians, we have a old nature and we have a new nature, that Christ is making us into a new creature. And he says that is a truth that is um, kind of paradoxical because it is both already, I am already a new creation, but also not yet. I haven't quite gotten to the fullness of that, and I won't until I get to heaven, where I will be completely that new creature that he has already made me to be. So I think with these core values we're gonna talk about this morning, it's the same thing. We are already those things, but we are also not yet, not in their fullness. So I wanna look at them, consciously think about them, and uh, drive them deeper into our hearts. We wanna turn up the good, okay? We wanna take the good things and we wanna turn up the knob, turn it all the way to 11, and do those things better. So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. Uh, I'm gonna have uh, Lawrence pray for the sermon. Lawrence was baptized when we were at the park um, last month, was it? And I just remember seeing his uh, smiling face as he came up out of the water, and I think uh, he's the one you're supposed to pray for. So pray for me, please, and uh, pray for another church as well to bless them. Good morning, church. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing all of us together as Thank you so much for this wonderful Sunday, Father. I pray this moment for Eric, touching Lord, speak to him, Lord. You speak through all of us, through him, Lord, through your spirit, Lord. Let your word, Lord, get you the deep cross of the heart, Lord. Yes, Lord, your word is true. Mm. Your word is life. Mm. It is life, Lord. Mm. Let your word get into your heart, Lord. Let we all be the hearer of and as well as the doer of your word, Lord. And we replicate, Lord, your significance, Lord, in, through our lives, Lord. I pray for other church members, Lord. Let we all, Lord, believe in you, Lord, believe in your word, Father and to live as you like, Father. Thank you so much, Father. Let your love be shared to others, Father, from every church, Lord. I mm. pray for whole congregation, Lord. Mm. I pray for those who are not able to meet today, Lord. Yes. Bless all of them, Lord. Thank you so much, Lord. Mm. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, I say mm. Amen. 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 Thank you very much. Okay, so, um, here we go. So we have nine core values, and nine is a lot, but I think you'll see how they flow together. Uh, so hang with me. Uh, hope you got coffee. Uh, but I, I, I think this will be a good time. Okay, so this is the first one. We embrace new people in hurting people, and we draw them into our community. This is who we are, and this is what we do. We heard lots of stories about this last week. That's what, mostly what people were talking about last week was um, their experience the first time they came here. 
and how people greeted them and welcomed them and brought them into the body and they just felt like, wow, this is family. This is where I belong. How many of you actually have a story like that? Where you came to Lake Sam and you said, okay, this is, this is where I need to be. Um, I remember the first time that Tamara and I came to Lake Sam, and I alluded to this a little bit last week, but I'll tell you the long version now. Um, we were part of a church plant along with the Chins, and uh, there were a few other couples uh, that were doing it with us at the time. This was 18 and a half years ago. Uh, the church plant was a great experience it was, uh, I guess you would say it's a failure because the church didn't really take off and thrive. It, was, it, it didn't match our vision of what we wanted it to be. And so we eventually had to dissolve it and move on to do other things, which was hard. It's always hard when plans don't work out. So us and the Chins and, and a few of our other friends, we got together as a group and we were roaming around to churches on the east side uh, visiting each church in turn, just looking for a new home. And somehow or another, we found this church. And at that time, it wasn't even called Lake Sammamish Foursquare. It was actually called Grace Foursquare Church. And we were at a, uh, another smaller building. And we showed up there. There was maybe 40 people there, tops. It was a very small group. And they had just gone through a really hard time. And I still don't know all the details of what had happened, but uh, I think the, the roof had fallen in on the building and, and all kinds of mess. And they had, uh, I think, interpersonal difficulties as well that they had just barely survived. And so there was probably about 12 of us that showed up and there was about 40 of them. And we were all feeling hurt and wounded and exhausted, but we looked at each other and in particular, I made eye contact with John Yahakovsky. But all of us looked at each other and said, ah, oh, we just, we recognize a kindred spirit here. That, yeah, we are hurting, we are wounded, but we're looking for a family. And there was just something in that moment that just made us go, you could be my family. There's just something that I see in your eyes that says, you will support me and fill up what's lacking in me and I can support you and fill up what is lacking in you. And we instantly knew that we were home. We were done with our search. And so we settled in there uh, at Grace Foursquare, and, and Julie and Kurt came about six months later, and the whole story has unfolded ever since for 18 years, and it's been amazing and fantastic. So this is who Lake Sam is from way, way back. We, uh, we treat each other as family and we welcome and embrace people into our family. The whole connect thing that we do in the middle of our Sunday service, that's actually kind of weird. You know, most churches don't really do that. So my kids, just so you know, <laughs> this is not normal. Um, but we do it for a reason. We do it because we are trying to promote the family feeling, the family spirit, the connections, the conversations that happen during that time. And, you know, it's really hard to actually have people stop doing that 
Okay, Jeff has to stand up here and employ the power of the hush, which still doesn't always work. And I think sometimes it can be a little frustrating. It can feel frustrating, like, ah, these people just aren't paying attention. They don't care about what's happening here on stage. But every time I've heard people express frustration about that, the very next words out of their mouths are, but I know that people behave this way because that's who we are, because we're family, because what we actually care about is making connections with each other. So this is something that we do very well. But I think it's also something that we can get better at. Sometimes visitors come to here, you know, come Sunday morning, and uh, they don't get that amazing, magical, embracing experience right away. It just, it happens. Uh, sometimes us regulars, as people who have been here for a long time, we are feeling tired or stressed out or just not really in the mood to make new connections with people. And so we head back to the back to get our coffee and we see someone that we don't recognize and we're like, I think I'm just gonna you know, detour around a little bit uh, so that I don't have to deal with that. How many people have had that experience? Yeah, I'm, definitely me. I'm talking to me here, okay, because I do this all the time. I actually don't like people. I keep telling you that. You don't believe me. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> um, some of those people that come to us are emotionally strong and healthy, and so they don't need a lot of help. They can make their own connections. They can initiate relationship and get to know people and plug themselves into the church, and it's fine. But some people who come to us are shy or they're hurting, or maybe they're from a different culture, and so it's awkward and difficult for them to initiate connection. And so it's on us to do a good job of that, to do a good job of that for everyone that walks in through our doors. So it's a, a challenge for you this morning that this is who we are, this is our core value, but I think we can do a better job at it of just embracing everyone that comes to us. Okay. Our second core value. We spend time with each other and we build relationships during the week. So Sunday morning service is pretty good, right? I think we do a good job. We have an excellent, excellent worship team every week. This morning with Greg leading was fantastic. That's right, fist bump to Greg. And then we have great teaching. Usually it's Kurt who's teaching. And he's a phenomenal preacher. Uh, he's, he's the best that I have ever heard. I have been so privileged and blessed to have sat under him for 18 years. And I am a different person because I've gotten to listen to Kurt for so long. Okay, So all of that is great. But here's the truth. If you've been here for a long time, for well, for any length of time at all, really, you'll start to understand this, that that Sunday morning experience what we're doing right now is not the heart of who we are. It's not the heart of Lake Sam. It's because it's hard to get to know people meaningfully in a setting like this. You're all sitting there, facing forward, looking at me, and this is great. I hope, hope that I'll be able to teach you something and you'll go away with, with uh, new ideas 
and a renewed sense of excitement and energy about our family. But the real heart of our church is when we see each other outside of the Sunday morning service, when we spend time together doing other things. You know, there's all kinds of opportunities to get involved in Lake Sam doing things other than just Sunday morning. We, we do uh, threefolds, okay? The, if you don't know what that is, a threefold is just you get together with uh, two or sometimes three other people, and you meet together regularly, usually once a week, and you pray, and you share life together in an intimate way, and you expose yourself, and you are vulnerable to these people, and they don't condemn you, they lift you up, and it's an amazing thing. Um, we have uh, small groups. Uh, in the the uh, the small groups meet together, uh, you know, anywhere from ten to, well, sometimes fifty people. We've had very large small groups, uh, and they do all kinds of things. It depends on the group. Sometimes they have meals together. Sometimes they do really in-depth Bible studies. Sometimes it's just more of a hangout time. But that's an opportunity to get to know each other. Uh, outside of the Sunday service and to find what the heart of our church is real, really all about. Now, I get it that most of us are very busy during the week. And you're thinking, okay, you know, Sunday morning, I got that blocked off of my schedule. I don't plan stuff there so I can come to church. But then all the rest of the week, I'm working, I have kids, I have all these other obligations. And I understand that because I felt that I do feel that way myself. I am busy, busy, busy all the time. And when I know that I need to do something, but I don't feel like I have time to do it, that's just, that's not a fun place to be in. For a long time, I resisted getting involved in a threefold. I sat here for probably 10 years or more with Kurt saying, you need to be in a threefold, you need to be in a threefold. And I just sat there going, I can't. I can't do it because I have four young kids at home and I have a really demanding job and I have a wife who likes to see me sometimes. And all of that was true to a large extent. But there was also maybe um, an element of me saying, I don't really want to get to that level of vulnerability. Uh, really, there's a part of me that would just like to sit in the chair with my arms folded and not engage at the level that a threefold would really demand. So I didn't do it for a long, long time. Uh, and it was, it was uh, finally John Platt who trapped me into joining a threefold. Uh, at the time, John was new to the church here, and he was rediscovering his faith. And he was so earnest and excited about it. It was fun to watch. I got to know him a little bit, and uh, just every time you listen to him talk, I just would start smiling because it's just amazing to watch his journey. And then uh, in the fall, Kurt usually does a you know, promotion thing about the, the different um, activities, and so he preached a sermon on threefolds, yet another one, and I sat there yet again going, nope, I can't do that. <laughs> and then afterwards, uh, John was sitting next to near me, and he got up and came over to me and said, hey, 
Eric, you know this thing, it sounds amazing. We should totally do that. You want to do that with me? Yeah, you want to? You want to? <laughs> and it's like, oh no, I can't say no. It would be like kicking a puppy. And so, you know, I mean, so, so I mean, God was playing dirty, right? God, God, was, God was saying, okay, 10 years, that's, that's enough. That's enough of that nonsense. You're going to start doing this. So I started meeting together with John. And uh, we met together for several months, and it was amazing. Like, my eyes were just open. This is so incredible. And then John invited uh, Josh Benjamin and Josh Morris to be part of that group as well. And the four of us have been doing this together for, I don't know how many years now. It's been a few. But i got to tell you guys, there is just something incredible about knowing that there are other men who know everything about me. Okay? There is a sense of peace and stability and just, just, ah when I get together with them. And it has changed my life. It has caused me to grow in amazing ways. They have challenged me. Just with, and, and not like they get in my face, but they just say, you know, I realize that I'm not spending enough time with my wife this week, and this is what I'm doing to kind of address that, and could you guys just pray for me? And I listen to that, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I have the same problem. (laughs) Okay, that's the sort of thing that a threefold does. We don't get that here in the Sunday morning service. So, our core value, this is who we are, this is what we do, we spend time with each other, and we build relationships during the week. Okay, the next. We encourage each other to grow in God and become more like Jesus. So we talked about how we embrace new people, and that's great, and we talked about how we focus on relationships and build friendships and be a family together, and that's all great feels good to have a place where we belong. It feels good uh, to have people who know you. And that's all great. But, you know, our family actually goes deeper than just friendships, even close friendships. Because you can get friendships other places. You remember last week I was telling you the story of Josiah and Wilderness Awareness School. And they understand a lot about community and about relationships. And they're doing a great job of that. And it's not in the context of Christ. They have, they have found some truths, okay? These truths are universal, and they've discovered them, but they're missing something because they're missing the context of God. Um, you remember our controlling scripture, one with God and one another, that the world may know, okay? To do this right, to do it the way that God really intended to do it, It's not an a la carte menu. You can't just choose, oh, I'm going to be one with God, but forget about other people. You also can't say, I'm going to be just one with other people and, you know, have good friends, but not really think about God. God intended for that system to work together. It is not possible 
for us to really explore the depths of God, except in the context of community. And it is not possible for us to really explore the depths of community, to really have that, that breathtaking oneness, that unity, without God being woven in through that. Because if God isn't there, over the years, it starts to decay. It starts to break apart. Little hurts build into big wounds, and the family falls apart. So it's God that is growing us together and gluing us together. And the whole purpose of that is so that the world will know that God exists and that God is real. So that doesn't mean that every moment that we spend together needs to be super serious, like we are always praying, always having uh, intense Bible study and all that stuff. It's fine and good and healthy to just hang out. Even in my threefold, our conversation is not always super heavy, super intimate. Uh, sometimes we spend the whole hour just talking about silly things like, hey, self-driving cars, how do you think that's going to change society? I think that's a fascinating topic, right? <laughs> and so we've, we've actually talked about that on multiple occasions for most of the time. And you think, well, that's kind of dumb. Why are you wasting your threefold time doing that? We're getting to know each other. It's not a waste. That's right. Greg just said it. It's not a waste. Because sometimes our conversation naturally turns to more deeper things. And it's not forced. Our conversation just goes where God directs it. And we can go from talking about things that have no apparent purpose to things that are deeply personal and vulnerable in the space of a heartbeat. And we never know where we're gonna end up, but we let God guide us. And then our actual prayer time in our threefold, it's not that long, it's maybe 10 minutes at the end. But we do pray for each other, and we pray for those needs that we have, the needs that we heard during our conversations. We say, wow, I heard that you're kinda of stressed out at work. I'm going to pray for you about that. So we, the time that we spend together has a purpose. We are growing each other together and becoming more like Jesus. And I am so excited that I can look around this room and point to each one of you that I have known for a while and go, I know that you are better and different, that you are more like Jesus now today than you were six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing to be part of a, pot, a, a family where you can see that. You can see the changes over time in each other. And I'm so excited to be part of Lake Salmon to be able to do that. Okay. <clears throat> Our next value. We help those who need help and we meet real practical needs. How many of you have ever been on the receiving or the giving end of practical help here at Lake Sam? Yeah, a lot of people. Okay, this is, this is one of our deepest, deepest core values. Um, when Kurt first came to our church and took on the pastor role, uh, one of the things he did was try to figure out where our finances were at, what kind of state they were in. And I gotta tell you, they were a wreck. Um, 
the, the, the church was not doing well financially. There's just a lot of chaos. Uh, bills were not being paid. The mortgage, I understand, was not being paid. So Kurt kind of rolled up his sleeves and he said, okay, we've got to solve this problem. So first we need to get a clear financial picture of where all the money is coming in from and where it is all going to. So he started going through the books and trying to analyze that. And as he looked deeper, he realized, wait a minute, there's a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money that is flowing through the church. That is, it's being given to the church, but is designated, and it's going straight out again. It's not going to our bills. It's not going to our expenses. It's just flowing through the church. And Kurt told me, he refreshed my memory, he said it was over twice the amount of money was going through the church than the amount that was going into the church, you know, into the general fund to cover expenses. And he said, where, what is all this money? Where is it coming from? Where is it going to? And people said, oh, well, that's Chris Maddox. <laughs> so well, what do you mean? Well, she has this benevolence fund, this program. And she goes and raises money and brings it into the church, and then she just turns right around and helps people with practical needs. She helps people pay their electric bill. She helps people repair their cars so they can get to work. She helps people buy food. She helps people do all of these things. All of this money was flowing through the church just for that purpose. This has been part of our DNA as a, a family for longer than I've even been here. And this has continued to be true. Okay, our benevolence budget, our fund, is still huge relative to all the other things that we do with our money here at Lake Sam. So we are generous with our money. We help each other with real practical needs. We're also generous with our stuff. I know there are several families at Lake Sam who have um, loaned uh, cars that they own and given them to other people to use for extended periods of time. There's people who have opened their houses, their homes, their rooms, spare room for people who need a place to stay for a while and just said, hey, come, come live with us. So we're generous with our stuff and we're generous with our time. When someone needs help coping with life, they're just overwhelmed with whatever's going on, we drop what we're doing and we go to them. I mean, like we actually get in the car and we drive there, we go to their house and we sit with them. Maybe we clean their house or we, you know, repair the front porch or whatever needs to be done. Or maybe we just sit there and listen. Maybe we bring some chicken noodle soup and just sit by someone's bed as they aren't able to really move. And we're there and we're a family. Last week, Lorelai Hallett told a story about um, when she had twins, her first set of twins, and they first came to the church. And she talked about how uh, Donna met her in the parking lot and was just such a blessing to her. And then it was amazing. And, and I think Lorelai alluded to the fact that lots of other people uh, jumped in and helped her with childcare, helped her survive through that time of having uh, infant twins, which is just incredibly difficult. And the thing was, after the sermon was done, Serenity came up to me. And she said, you know, um, the, that story actually continues because Serenity said, I 
was one of the people who was helping Lorelei with her twins. This was before I had kids. And so I would go to her house and help her with her twins. And then later I had twins. And you know what? Lorelai came to my house and helped me with my twins. And other people I know have been investing huge amounts of time in the Dillaways family to help them through that moment. And we have another set of twins arriving shortly with Andrew and Michelle. And so this is another opportunity for us to be generous with our time because this is who we are and this is what we do. We are a family. And so when one person has a problem, we all have that problem. And we all work to solve it together. Okay. So here's the next one. That's kind of the reverse, the mirror image of that. Not only do we offer help to other people, but we also ask for and accept help when we need it. Now, this is sometimes a lot harder than offering the help, right? Who here would rather be on the giving end than the receiving end? Yeah, I would. But this is part of our core value system as well. And here's why. It's really vulnerable, it feels risky and unsafe to open yourself up and to say, I am not okay. That's hard to do. And that's not something that you can do unless you trust your family and you know that they will be there for you. It's easier to just play it safe, to just go be a hermit somewhere and suffer in silence and not let anyone know what's really going on in your life. But this is important for us because it is how we become a family. This is so if, if you can't be safe, if you can't be vulnerable, and if you don't believe that your family is safe, then none of this other stuff we're talking about this morning works. This is actually the basis, the foundation that everything else rests on. And not only is it just that we um, ask for help from other people, we also ask for help from God. And so the more that we can be uh, vulnerable and take risks with our church family, the better we are at accepting help from God, it isn't that what the salvation message is all about? To, to just say, God, I cannot do it by myself. I need your help. And that's what we do with each other. We say, I cannot do it by myself. I need your help to make it through. Okay, so it is risky. It is risky to ask for help and to be vulnerable in that way. So, let's talk a little bit more about risks. We take risks on people and we gently coach them through mistakes. What does it mean to take risks on people? Well, we just talked about one part of that, and it's the risk of uh, admitting that you're not sufficient, that you're not okay, and waiting for that reaction, to see what that reaction is. That's a risk. 
We take other risks on people here at Lake Sam. Uh, for example, we have an open mic here waiting up front during worship time for anyone to come up and use. You can come in and get the mic and Adam will hand it to you and you can share a word that God has given to you for the body. And there is not a special approved list of people who are allowed to do that. Really, there's not. Now, there are a few people who regularly do that because they're comfortable with it, but there's not a special list. And in fact, we would like many more people to try doing that. But that seems kind of crazy. I mean, from a, from a risk management perspective, okay, if I'm the pastor of a church, it is crazy for me to just throw the door open and say any random person can come up here and say whatever they want. I mean, what if it's weird? <laughs> right? What if it doesn't make sense? What if there's something about it that's a little off theologically? That is a risk, but that's a risk that we are willing to take here at Lake Sam because of the second part of this principle that we gently coach people through their mistakes. Okay, we are willing to have people take risks because we are willing to let people make mistakes. We do not expect people to get it right the first time. And if you try something, then we're excited that you tried. And if you don't do a perfect job of it, then we won't punish you, we won't yell at you, we won't say, oh my gosh, that was so terrible, never, ever, ever do that again. We just say, hey, you know, I hear what you are trying to do. I hear your heart, I hear your spirit, I hear the Holy Spirit in you. But here's a thought for how we can do it better Next time, we can improve on it. We can get closer to what God was giving you to say. Okay, another example. I'm standing here, and I'm preaching to you this morning. And Kurt isn't even here, right? He's not waiting in the wings to, like, tackle me off the stage if I say something insane. So how crazy is that? Most churches do not allow random people from the congregation to stand up and preach, but we do. We've had dozens of people up here preaching. And most of us are not theologically trained. Most of us have not gone to seminary. Most of us do not have divinity degrees. I certainly do not. But Kurt lets us do this because he's willing to take risks on us, and he's willing to coach us through it. Now, that's not to say that he just um, puts no thought into it whatsoever. Okay, the preparation for preaching is intense. If anyone, as anyone who has done this can tell you, um, I have to, to do a preach call with Kurt uh, before I stand up here on Sunday morning. And I run through the entire sermon dress rehearsal style. I actually preach it to him. We don't just go over the outline of the notes. I preach the whole thing word for word. And he listens he doesn't comment, he doesn't interrupt, he listens to the whole thing. And then afterwards, he says, wow, that was fantastic. I love your heart. And I hear what you're trying to say. But, you know, I think maybe in this one area, if you were to rearrange this a little bit, or maybe add a story here, or draw out the point that you're trying to make and spend a little more time here, 
it would be more powerful. People would hear better what it is that you're trying to say. And he, when he says that to me, I just go, yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. Okay, this is probably the, the single thing that Kurt is best at. And if you have never had the privilege of going through it, I encourage you to volunteer and do it, Josh Benjamin. <coughs> <coughs> So, so we, take, we take measured risks, okay? We, it's not that we don't care, but we do take um, planned risks because even after all of that preparation, then Kurt has to send us up to the stage and he's like, well, it's you and God and we'll see how it works out. And to the extent that, um, that you have God's heart, and you can preach that, it's going to be amazing. And to the extent that uh, you miss it a little bit, or maybe you're just, you know, nerves just flood you with adrenaline and, and your presentation is a little rough, we'll work with that too. It just takes practice. How do you get better at public speaking? You do public speaking, okay? We take risks on each other, and we coach each other through our mistakes. So going along with that, we assume that other people have good intentions. This is something that we do really well at Lake Sam. This is actually a key to our longevity here at our church. Because when we do take risks on each other, um, inevitably, misunderstandings pop up. Uh, people get stressed out with each other. And words are said where one person is thinking something, one thing when they say it, but it's heard a different way. And then people get their feelings hurt a little bit. And they're like, ouch. You know, well, what did you mean by that? And one of two things can happen when you get into that situation because it's like a pebble that's thrown into a pond and it's going to generate ripples. Either you can say, okay, I know this person who hurt me is trying to do the right thing. I know this person loves me. I know this person has good intentions, so I'm going to let it go. I'm going to try to see it from their perspective, understand what it was they were trying to say. And even though I don't agree with their delivery, I can agree with their motives. That's one scenario one choice you can make. The other choice is to take offense and to hold on to that offense and go, that, that person, that person's a jerk. Can you believe you said that to me? And then you go off to someone else. Can you believe that person said that to me? What does that do? That causes a spiral of hurt, of grudges that can build and build and build until it can literally destroy a church if it's carried far enough. But we don't do that because we assume that other people have good intentions. So I'm going to tell you a story which is not my story. And if I mess this story up, then I trust that the people involved in this story will know that I had good intentions. <laughs> this is a story of something that happened between my wife Tamara and Amy Iwasaki, who is on staff here at the church. Um, and I'm telling this story because 
this, this principle, this core value, was actually one that Tamara suggested to me. And this was the story that she told me to illustrate what it was she was trying to say. And at first, I did not have it in my sermon. I had some other silly illustration here. But it wasn't very meaningful. And Kurt, during the preach call, Kurt said, you know, most of your stuff was really amazing, but that one story, eh. I said, yeah, you're right. I'm going to have to go back and, and use the one that God gave me in the first place. That's usually a good idea. Okay, so here's what happened. A few years ago, Tamara was working with the youth group here at, at Lake Sam. Uh, she had been for several months. She had gotten heavily involved in the youth group. Uh, she was, uh, you know, going to the Wednesday night meetings and helping with the planning and, and doing a lot of stuff. She was an integral member of the youth team. But she wasn't officially on the steering team, the youth steering team. And Amy started getting after Tamara about that, saying, why aren't you on the steering team? Why aren't you officially a member? And, well, Tamara, because reasons, basically, which are complicated and uh, I won't go into now, but the, she, she had some particular reasons why she was a little uncomfortable with uh, taking on that title at that time. So she told Amy, I, I just, I don't want to do that. But Amy kept getting kind of insistent about this, right? Amy has lots of diff difficult conversations with people. That's kind of her job description around here right? But they're good. They're important. Someone has to have the difficult conversations, and I'm really glad that she does that. But she said, okay, we need to have a meeting. So Tamara came to the office and sat in Amy's office, and they had a tense meeting. And what Amy thought she was saying was, look, you're already doing everything that a steering team member does. This is kind of ridiculous. Just Say that you're on the steering team, and then I can have you on the email threads that go around and you know, all the information that flows, and you need to be a part of that because you're functionally a steering team member. Just get over it. Do it. What Tamara heard was something to the effect of, you are afraid of commitment. And what you're doing, what you have been doing up to now, is not sufficient. And so either you need to step it up and do it right, or you need to get out. That's what she heard. That's not exactly what Amy intended to say. But you see how they're kind of going past each other, right? Has anyone been in a situation like this, where you have two people both trying to say things that make sense, but they're just missing it? All right? So... They had this meeting, and they talked about it for a long time, and they didn't really get to a resolution. I mean, sort of. They kind of agreed to disagree for a while. And then Tamara left, and as soon as she walked out of the office, she grabbed her phone and texted me something to the effect of, wow, that was a really hard meeting, but it's going to be good. It's going to be okay, because I trust Amy's heart. And then she hit send, and then looked back at her phone and realized that she had not sent it to me, she sent that to Amy. Yeah? <laughs> Thank you, God. That's right. 
That's right. You see the potential for disaster there? <laughs> but it was not a disaster. It was ultimately a good thing. It was a hard thing, but it was a good thing because they trusted each other's intentions. So this is who we are, and this is what we do as a family. But what happens when the person who's hurting you doesn't have good intentions? You keep looking for their good intentions. You keep trying to see things from their perspective. And you're like, surely they must be thinking something that where they're motivated by, you know, seeking after God's heart, and you look, and you just can't see it. And finally you realize, no, this person is just messed up. <laughs> right? This happens too. This happens too. So what do we do in that situation? Here's what we have to do. We forgive wrongs that are done to us. Sometimes it's not just a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's not just a matter of, you know, different vocabulary. Sometimes it's, wow, someone really hurt me, and they were wrong. They were wrong in what they said. They were wrong in what they did. And if I were to be furious about that and to hold it against them, I would be correct to do so because I have a reason. I have justification. But this is what we do at Lake Sam. We forgive. If you live in a community long enough, a family long enough, this will eventually happen to you. Eventually, someone will hurt you in a way that is just wrong. And if you live in a family long enough, eventually you will hurt someone else in a way that is wrong, that is indefensible. So there's no way to avoid this. There's no way to avoid getting deeply hurt by people. The only way to avoid it is to not love people and to not allow them to love you. Because to love is to be open, to be vulnerable, to take risk. And all of those things mean that you're going to be hurt. So dealing with this kind of a crisis, it, this is a whole sermon all on its own, which has been preached before and I'm sure will be preached again. And so I don't have the time to, to fully expand on it right now. But I just want to observe this. Do you guys know, understand, how common it is for a church to spiral into a place where people are hurting each other, people are wronging each other, and then people take offense at that, and people do not forgive, and it builds to a crescendo point where the church actually splits. It happens all the time. Over the course of 18 years, it is actually rare for a church to not experience that. And we have not experienced that at Lake Sam for as long as I've been here. In fact, as far as I know, we've never even come close. That's an amazing thing. And we can say that because we forgive, because we hold this value close to our hearts. This is important to us. When there are problems, when there are difficulties, because we have had things happen that could have ended 
in a split. Things have happened like that over the years. But we deal with them openly and transparently and as honestly as we possibly can. And at the end of the day, we forgive and we forgive more and then we forgive again after that and that's what gets us through. That's what keeps our family together, strong and unbroken. And then finally, we don't easily quit or leave when things get hard. Let me tell you a story uh, about Tamara and me from a few years ago. We went through a period of time in our church life that was kind of a perfect storm. Many things happened to us all simultaneously. Um, or within what felt like a very short window. It was actually a little sp spread out, but they built on each other. I think it started with Tamara stepping down from the children's ministries, the, the Sunday school stuff. And she was just burned out. She was exhausted. And it was, she had a good time. She, the, the ministry was successful, but for various reasons, she felt like she had to step down. And that was hard. Even if God is asking you to take a break, it's still hard to, to step back and take a break. So she was wrestling with a lot of stuff there. I mean, deep, like, identity things. And then right about that same time, our entire small group moved away all of a sudden. We had an amazing home group. We had a group of people that were so tight and so close. Um, it was just, it was one of the most special groups that I have experienced in my whole life. And then within a period of about six months, the Lu's went to China to be missionaries. The Ivans moved to California for a job. Uh, the Hammonds moved to Hawaii. Um, the uh, James and Heather Morris, uh, they didn't move, but they live in Duval, which is a long way away. And they said, you know, I think we're going to try to find a church that's a little closer because our kids are getting older. They're going to want to do youth group. We just need to be um, within our own geographic community. And we said, okay, yeah, we get that. But they were gone too. And so within six months, literally every other person in our small group was gone. I think. I hope I'm not forgetting anyone. But it certainly felt that way. Everyone was gone. And then our spiritual lives just were just kind of meh at the time, anyway, as a result of all this and other things. It was just, you ever get that way? It just, it just happens sometimes. You get into a period of your life that's just, just meh. Well, we were there. And then I think we were probably frustrated with Kurt over something or another because that happens, <laughs> right? So all of these added together and multiplied together to the point where we were just feeling gross. We were feeling like we don't like this church body anymore. We have no place here. We're feeling adrift. We're feeling unconnected. We feel terrible. And so Tamara and I were talking about that at home one evening, and she said, I just, I can't do this anymore. I can't even hardly force myself to go on a Sunday morning. And I said, well, I, me too, and I don't know what to do. I, I guess the only thing we can do is just, I guess we just need to leave. We need, need to just flush the whole thing and start over again somewhere else. And she said, okay, fine. And I said, all right, fine. <laughs> 
And then we sat there in silence with a ball hitting the pit of our stomach, just feeling sick at the thought of actually having to leave. Because where else would we go? This is our family. This place is unique. This place does not exist anywhere else. Where else would we go? And ultimately, we couldn't bring ourselves to leave. So we never acted on that decision. We kept deferring it and deferring it. But we knew that we couldn't stay where we were either. We could not stay in that state. We knew we needed to reconnect with our family and fall in love with people again, but we didn't really know how to do that. And at some point, Kurt kind of figured out that we were in trouble. And we did not tell Kurt what we were thinking. We didn't want to hurt him. Because, yeah, wow, that would just really crush him. But, so we never said, we're thinking about leaving the church. But something was said somewhere that kind of gave him the idea, okay, the leaves are not okay. And I knew, I just, I, I could predict it. I knew he was going to call me and ask me to do something, to, uh, like, to get engaged with the church again. And so I was expecting a call from him. And sure enough, he called me up and said, hey, I'd like you to join uh, a steering team. It's the, it was the, at the time, it was called the overall steering team. It was just doing strategy and stuff for the church and kind of thinking about how we implement the steering team model in the church. He said, I want you to do this. And I had two thoughts. One was, I absolutely do not want to do that. <laughs> That's not the sort of thing I enjoy doing. Um, I don't enjoy meetings. I don't enjoy any of that stuff. And I am just not really liking this church right now anyway, so I'm not the right person to ask. <laughs> but the other half of my brain was saying, this is the moment. This is the point of decision. Either you choose to re-engage and start loving people again, or you're eventually going to leave this family. This is the choice. God was just saying it, just so loud and clear. This is the choice. And so I chose to engage, and I said yes. So this is what a family does. Kurt knew that we were in trouble, and he knew what we needed to start getting out of trouble. And what he did, that phone call that he made to me and the request that he made, was not manipulative. It was open and transparent. He was not trying to trick me into something, but he was throwing me a lifeline. He was saying, I know you're hurting right now. I know you need connection with your family, and so I am inviting you to come back. And that's what we do for each other. We do this because we love each other. So we choose to not leave, we choose to not give up, we choose to re-engage even when it's hard, especially when it's hard, because it's important. Now to be clear, this perfect storm that happened to us, it was not because the church overall was in trouble. 
Lexam was doing fine at the time. Lexam is doing great now. And we are long over that period of time in our lives. Um, I'm, I'm more engaged now with Lake Sam than I ever have been. So we got through it. Uh, so I just want to make that clear to everyone. Uh, but, you know, perfect storms, they happen. After 18 years with the same group of people, uh, you're just going to have a moment where you feel like you're falling out of love. And so what do we do? Well, we don't quit. We don't give up. We don't bail out. We keep on forgiving, we keep on loving, we get through the hard times, and we get to a place of joy again with each other. That's what we would do because this family is worth it. You know, the Apostle Paul once wrote a letter uh, to a church that was struggling. And they were having trouble loving each other, and they were having trouble with their feeling of family. And he said a lot of things in this letter but uh, in chapter 13, he wrote this. This was his advice to them. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no records of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. It never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. You know, we hear that scripture read at weddings and stuff a lot, and we think, well, okay, that's, that's like special kind of love that doesn't really count in the general case. But that's not what this is. This was a letter to a church family, a church family that was struggling to love each other the way they were supposed to. And this is what Paul said we're supposed to do. So everything that I've said this morning, I think it's all rephrased and summed up right there. It's about love. And Jesus said the same thing, okay? Going back once again to our controlling scripture, one with another, or one with God and one another, that the world may know. I want to look at the expanded form of where that actually comes from. It's John 17. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us, so that the world will believe that you sent me. This was Jesus' prayer for us for Lake Sam. And I mean that quite literally, because he said all believers, and he was thinking of all believers. He was thinking of us. He prayed this for us, that we would be one just as Jesus and God the Father are one. So we can share that oneness with each other and with him so that the world will look and believe that God sent Jesus for them. Go ahead and have the band come up. And we're going to do communion together. And with this communion this morning, I want you to think in a certain way. And 
I hope and trust that this is not entirely sacrilegious, so hang with me. But when we take these cups, and we have the bread, which represents Jesus' body that was broken for us, as you break it, I want you to think about not only that God broke his body, Jesus broke his body for us, but that we break our bodies for each other. Okay? This communion is not just a communion with God. It is a communion with each other. We are breaking for each other. So thank you, God, that you have shown us the way. You have shown us how how to break in our hearts for each other, to care so much that we just say, I will sacrifice whatever it takes to get there and to make it whole again. Go ahead and take this for each other and for what God did for us. And likewise for the cup. Jesus' blood poured out for us to cleanse us, to make us whole again and new again. That's what Jesus did for us. But it's what we do for each other. We pour out our spirits. We pour out our love. We cover each other. So drink this with the thought that it goes both ways. Jesus shed blood for us and we shed everything that we have to be a family.